I am joined now by Acumen Laws, Kyla Lee. Kyla, how are you doing this lovely Monday? I'm great, thank you, Jeff. Uh, thanks for having me. Yeah, as always, it's a pleasure to have you on. So um, let's just start right where the kind of the news of really the month has been, rail blockades and, and the ongoing dispute over the Coastal Gasling Project and, uh, you know, with the Wet'suwet'en First Nation people. So we saw the Prime Minister last week saying that these barricades must come down and the injunctions to clear the rail lines must be enforced, calling the situation unacceptable. And then today we began seeing some arrests being made near Belleville where a blockade has been set up for a more than a couple of weeks. So just... Uh, first and foremost to start, what are your overall thoughts on how this situation has been handled from a legal perspective? You know, as you see the situation unfold, is there anything that you think should have been done differently to this point? I think that, you know, trying to come to the table um, and continuing to make efforts to come to the table to meet with all of the interested parties um, before going into court and before ordering that uh, that blockades need to be taken down would have been a better approach. Uh, for a lot of Indigenous people in Canada, this notion of the rule of law is a colonial notion. Um, and it's it's the type of thing that, that makes Indigenous people feel like they're not going to be treated fairly because... For hundreds of years in this country, Indigenous people weren't treated fairly, and that was the rule of law. Um, and I think the, the comments that uh, Justin Trudeau made uh, last week about uh, the fact that the blockades need to come down now, right before he was supposed to go into the meeting with the with the leaders, set the wrong tone for any discussions um, and made it more difficult for things to move forward in a way where people feel like their concerns are going to be heard and where they feel like they're going to be actually given a legitimate consultation on this issue. Um, one of the things that has been discussed uh, as a result of this whole situation was just the whole issue around reconcilia reconciliation. Uh, you know, you're a Métis woman yourself. You know, there are many that have said this kind of is proving that the government doesn't necessarily care about reconciliation or this whole incident is setting reconciliation back a number of years. I guess, what, what is your point of view uh, just when talking about reconciliation? You know, I don't know that I'd go as far as to say that this sets reconciliation back, but I think it does reveal a lot of the huge complexity that there is in undertaking reconciliation efforts, because we have problems that have, have been created as a result of colonization, where you have elected chiefs making decisions for people um, and hereditary chiefs maybe not being involved as much in the decision-making process as they'd like to be, or not having their concerns heard or taken seriously. Um, and when those colonial, you know, colonial structures like democracy were imposed on some indigenous nations. That, that was something that uh, that uh, was contrary to their belief system and, and allowing them to follow through on their traditional practices is consistent with reconciliation approaches. But what's happening in this case is not consistent with reconciliation approaches. So this does reveal huge layers of complexity to this issue that I don't think is going to be solved in this case. And I think we're just scratching the tip of the iceberg here for what reconciliation is going to look like in the you know hundred years that it's going to take to get there. Yeah, I can imagine or I would believe that, uh, you know, whatever conversations do happen between any Indigenous leaders and the and the federal government moving forward or, or the provincial government for that matter, um, you know, are going to have a big impact on just sort of how this whole situation um, is viewed once, I guess, it is sort of coming to a conclusion. Um, you know, I guess 
what, what do you think about the situation as it unfolds now in terms of um, arrests being made? Like, we've started seeing arrests being made this morning near that Belleville um, blockade. Um, I haven't seen much video out of Ontario yet, but I have seen a little bit, and, you know, it does look like it's heading in a bit of an ugly direction with, uh, you know, police and, and protesters sort of meeting at a head. Um, you know, what, what do you anticipate in terms of uh, reaction here? I mean, do you think this could get pretty ugly? Just in, We haven't seen a ton of violence around the situation yet, but I'm wondering if we might be heading in that direction. I think it could uh, get ugly. I mean, I think what what the approach that's being taken in the video that's coming out of, of Ontario where the arrests are being made today, um, it, it's frightening. The, the video that I've seen is from the perspective of the protesters, mm-hmm. and there's a very thick wall of police officers that are moving forward slowly, encroaching upon these people and taking them down one by one. And the imagery associated with that is very similar to imagery we've seen thousands of times in this country when, when you know, settler forces, whether it was, you know, people originally coming off ships back in the, you know, 1500s to to now, um, when Indigenous people have had something taken from them. And so it calls back all of that history of coming in, in force, in high numbers, and taking people down. And I think that approach um, from the police was maybe not very well thought out as far as how it was going to be received just from a visual perspective by Indigenous people. So in response to that, I guess, what, what do you think would make for, uh, I guess, a more appropriate um, move by police when we're just talking about the visuals that are coming out of this? I mean, uh, was there any other way to really handle this situation from, from a police perspective? And what, you know, they've been uh, told for orders-wise from the federal government to, to move in and start um, taking action and removing blockades and removing people from the train tracks. Um, you know, what, what do you think might have been a better approach? Is there is there something that can be done, uh, you know, more effectively and, and, and wouldn't lead to uh, that escalation? that we saw here today? You know, I'm not, I'm not sure. I mean, I'm not a, an expert, yeah. of course, in, in police approaching situations and making arrests. But when you look at protests that were taking place in the Lower Mainland um, and, and throughout British Columbia over the last couple of years involving um, other, uh, uh, other pipeline activities um, and when some political leaders um, of this country were arrested, um, those arrests were handled differently. There were fewer officers. They moved in a much more peaceful manner. Um, and I wonder why the OPP wasn't taking that same sort of physical approach. And it may be that they have different intelligence and, and different information about what might happen. Um, but, but you just look at how, you know, non-Indigenous protesters have been arrested at similar protests compared to how these Indigenous protesters are being arrested. And it does make make you feel a little bit sick about the way that it's being handled. Mm-hmm. Uh, I can appreciate that uh, sentiment as well. Um, what, what typically happens, I guess, uh, from a protester's perspective here moving forward? I mean, if you are on the lines and you are being arrested and taken down and maybe you had a a brief altercation with police um you know what what typically happens to protesters in these types of situations Generally speaking, what happens is they're arrested for violating the injunction. They're uh, they're taken to court and they have a trial for contempt and usually found to be in contempt of court on the basis of being there. Um, the concern is the circumstances where people do have a bit of an altercation with police because that can lead to charges for resisting arrest. Um, and the real question is going to be the amount of force that was used by the police officers to begin with and whether that justified the resisting actions of the individual because police are always required 
to try and de-escalate a situation with every means necessary before defaulting to force. And I'm not sure, you know, from the limited video that we have available, whether or not that's been happening yet in Ontario. Mm-hmm. Um, when, when people do typically get charged in um, response to these types of situations, how long does that typically take to, to get through the court system? Um, you know, I'm just we've seen situations in the past, obviously, where, where someone gets charged and it takes years um, to get to get their charges actually heard and, and whether or not they're convicted or not. I'm just curious if, if, you know, when we're looking at, you know, potentially hundreds, if not more than that, thousands of arrests being made as a result of this, um, you know, we're going to see a lot of charges coming out of this, I'm sure, at some point. Um, you know, how long does it take for a situation like this to make its way through the legal system? And, and you know, this is a situation that's going to continue unfold probably for another few months here at the very least. It does take uh, some time. There is a benefit in the sense that any time there's an injunction, um, there level of proof that the Crown has to bring to court to establish that the offense has been committed is often much lower because you've proved that the injunction exists, you prove that somebody defied it, um, and the essential elements of the offense are made out. Um, so that makes it easier, it streamlines the trial process. I also would expect that, you know, if hundreds and hundreds of arrests are being made, that the prosecutors are going to put together a team to deal with the arrests and to try and make this a situation where people are less likely to be, uh, to be picked up um, and then wading through the system for a long period of time and, and streamline the court process, like we saw to some extent with the Vancouver riot trials um, and with other large political protests that we've seen in Canadian history. Right on, Kyla. Well, I think um, you know we're starting to run out of time. i got about a minute left. Is there anything else that I'm, I'm sort of missing on this situation that you think is worth highlighting? Um, you know, this has obviously been, been the talk of the news cycle for the last little while. Everybody just needs to remember to try and keep the discussion respectful to both sides. I've seen a lot of commentary in the media, I mean, even some some reporters in Quebec saying things along the lines of, you know, people should be shot or people should be executed, and nobody on either side of this deserves to have to lose their life for this. Um, we, are, we are a civilized country. Uh, everybody in this situation is, is a civilized person, and we need to be able to deal with one another respectfully um, and not suggest resorting to violence. Yeah, we live in this social media world, right, where people don't necessarily have to think twice before sending something out. So um, definitely some interesting comments that you have brought up when talking about uh, that extreme violence and execution. I hope uh, no one really feels that way, even if they are typing it out on the screen. But uh, thank you so much for taking the time, Kala. Always appreciate you coming on. Um, you sound like you're getting ready for some, some good court action here in the background. So enjoy the rest of your day, and we'll, we'll catch up again next week. Thank you. Awesome. That was Acumen Law's Kyla Lee.